The scripture reading this morning is from the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 6 through 11, and it can be found on page 909 in the Blue Bibles. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were still gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. It's the word of the Lord. My name is Ryan Phelps. I serve here as lead pastor. So we started a series last week called Following Christ in the Suburbs. It's not the greatest title in the world. I hate the word suburb. I keep on saying it. I have to because it's my series that I'm doing. But it is what it is. We live in the suburbs. We don't live in the big city. We live outside of it for a lot of good reasons. But there are also problems that come up in terms of following Christ. There are specific things about living in the suburbs that keep us from following Christ fully. And so that's what we're looking at. We're taking many weeks to cover some different topics. And this morning we are going to to cover the topic of mission, living on mission for him. Before we do, before we look at this amazing, amazing passage, let's pray together. God, you have given us your word that we may see and hear and know and believe. We are not here just randomly. This word, this, this passage, it, it tells us right off the bat, we are not here randomly for no purpose, for no reason. We are here for a very specific reason, and it is meant to affect every part of our lives. For that word to have its way with us, though, we need your help. We do not want to follow you. We do not want your purpose. We want our own. And so, again, attend us by the Holy Spirit. May we see and hear and know and believe and follow and go. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So when I was a kid, I don't know about you, but I ran away from home at least nine different times. It was usually, it was, I think it was somewhere between the ages of six and 11, but I would get angry about something and I would be like, that's it. I, I cannot do this anymore. I cannot live in this house under these parents anymore. I'm out of here. And so I would I would, I would get my stuff together. My stuff, it was a, an old, like super old suitcase and I would pack every He-Man action figure I had into that suitcase until it was way too heavy, and I would drag it outside of the house so my mom could see, and I'd walk out that door. Freedom. Freedom. Freedom from tyranny. From oppression. And then I'd open my eyes and instantly go, what have I done? <laughs> what have I done? I have made a huge mistake. Now, my doubt immediately didn't come because I wasn't angry anymore. I was still angry. Why did she do that to me? I doubted because I had nowhere to go. I had nowhere to go. I had nothing, no, no place to go, no place to be. I've got my suitcase, but now what? I would walk away like I was leaving forever, 
But then seven minutes later, I would return through the front door, and my mom would say, nice to see you, honey. At first, I moved like I had a purpose, but then when push came to shove, I didn't have one. I did not have a purpose. I did not have a mission, and it stopped me in my tracks. So we live in the suburbs. It is a good thing, but it is an odd thing, because on the one hand, it can be serene, it can be peaceful, but it is also very fast-paced. I'm just feeling it right now, all the things that we do. At some level, it is peaceful, but at another level, it is frantic. And oftentimes, I think, confusing. And it's very easy to forget why we are here. What are we doing? Why am I doing all these things? What is my purpose? What is my mission. So the, so the sermon series, I, I got this idea from actually from a pastor in South Africa. And if you can believe it, in South Africa, they have the suburbs, and they are very similar to our suburbs. He writes this, suburban life can seem like an endless routine of school runs, latte stops, long commutes, soccer matches, and weekends that are too short. Radiohead, the band, summarized it well, albeit somewhat fatalistically when they sang, I will take the quiet life, a handshake of carbon monoxide with no alarms and no surprises. Sometimes I feel like that is our only mission. Just to avoid what is hard, but to work frantically for something that we're not so sure what we're after. Let me tell you what the problem is not. The problem is not that these things that we do are bad. The ballet lessons, the long commutes, the sports practices, the long hours, the incredibly difficult work. I know all of you work so hard. Those are not bad things. In fact, they can be wonderful, good things. The problem is, as I see it, is that we often forget why we do them to begin with. We have forgotten why we are engaged in our work, in our parenting, in our communities. We have, it seems, little purpose. We are on a trip with no clear goal in mind. We have no definable mission. My kids started school a couple of weeks ago, like everyone's did, but we had a, the, the first night or the night before school started, everyone went to the school to just kind of get checked in, to meet teachers. And so we hopped in line to get them registered. At least that's what we thought we were doing. We were just standing in this line because we saw the line. Have you ever done that? You just jump in line because there's a line there to begin with? And so we look at the people behind us and they say, do you know why we're standing in this line? What is this line for? What do you think they said? We don't know. We thought you knew. Purposelessness is a perennial problem outside of the church, inside of it. It is so easy just to go with the flow, just to jump in the line because it is there. Follow the crowd. That's why I'm alive. But is that our best and highest call? Is that how we are meant to live? Now, in that line, my wife did something crazy. She did something crazy. She said, hang on, I'm going to find out why we're standing here. What? You can't do that. She hopped out, went to the front. We were where we were supposed to be. Friends, Jesus calls us in this passage 
to find our mission, to leave the line and find what our purpose is. And the mission that he sends us on, all of us on, is sweeping and captivating and enlivening. And it is because of what it is, and we're going to get to that, but it is also because we are meant to live on purpose. That is what we are meant for, made for. And this purpose is singularly great far greater than we can imagine. And so together this morning, again, we must remember it in the suburbs. We must recall it. We must announce it. Why are we here? What is your purpose here on earth? What is our mission? The disciples stared up into heaven. They stared up into the universe and the outer space. As Jesus departed, they looked up in the sky and then he was gone, G-O-N-E, gone Now, what would they do? What will we do? What will we live for? We are in the book of Acts this morning, and here are the points we're going to use to walk through it. Acts 1, 6 through 11. Number one, you need a mission. Two, there is only one great mission. And three, how to live on mission. Number one, you need a mission. You need a mission. Verse 6, what does it say? So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? So that's a loaded question. It's a loaded question, so let's backfill it a little bit. As you can tell, the the disciples are with Jesus, but this is after his resurrection. So they had lived with him, and he had died in front of them. And then he was risen to new life. He was raised to new life. And they were with him. And he was teaching them. He had been with them for 40 days, teaching them amazing things, finally unpacking the puzzle. Here is why Jesus came to live and die and be raised to new life. And so they knew that everything was going to be different, right? They knew everything was going to be different. Jesus defeated death. He's alive. And that means really good things. And yet, they still did not get it, did they? They still did not understand why he came, what they were there to do. Now, if you don't know the history, the disciples had, of course, been living as Israelites under the oppression of Rome, and Rome was oppressive. They had watched so many friends die on crosses. Their nation, Israel, had been subdued for centuries, and now they know they have the Messiah. Here is the one that was predicted would come and save. He would seek and save and upend. And so they are expecting him to come in and upend the whole system. Overthrow Rome. And finally restore Israel to glory. Here's how John Stott puts it. The disciples were still dreaming of political dominion. Of the re-establishment of their monarchy, of Israel's liberation from the colonial yoke of Rome. And so can we blame them that they look at Jesus and say, okay, when are you going to do it? When are you going to finish this? We, we want to be in power again. We do not want to be under oppression any longer. You are our hero. Please save us. Restore us. And then Jesus responds in a way they were not expecting and honestly did not want. Verse 7, he said to them, 
It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So in a nutshell, what is He saying? Not only am I not going to tell you, because I don't know if and when, when God will restore Israel, but now I am handing this work off to you. And then, in a, in, a, in a something that only Jesus could do, only as Jesus could do, he performs the greatest cliffhanger of all time. He leaves. Verse 9, And when he had said these things, as they were looking, out, looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Now, how would you have responded to that? How do you think the disciples responded to that? What was in their hearts and in their minds as their Savior, their King, their Messiah, their Lord? It's just gone. Fear, loneliness, doubt, maybe perhaps most of all confusion. Wait a minute. Whoa, what just happened? Did he just leave again? Now we have to ask the question, Did he know what he was doing? Because he did. He left on purpose. Did he know what he was doing? And of course Jesus did. He intended to leave them there, dumbfounded, mouths agape, terrified, and confused. Why? I think because he wanted them to come face to face with the reality of now what? Now what? And here is what they would eventually come to discover. Jesus was sending them out. He was planting the seeds of the church to be sent out, to be spread abroad to the utter ends of the universe. He was sending them out to finish his work. That would be their mission. Now, what is a mission? What is a mission? It is a vocation. It is a calling. It is a purpose. You are all on mission. If you didn't know it, that is why you are alive. That's why you get out of bed every morning, why you go to work, why you parent. Everyone has a mission to make money or raise kids or eat cheese. Maybe that's your mission. I don't know. It's very possible. Eat cheese, whatever it is. Jesus, though, he had something different in mind for them. He did not want them to have any random mission. He wanted them to find the true purpose for their lives. Now, we are going to get to that in a second, but first we need to see how the disciples really misunderstood that. How they misunderstood what it means to live on earth and to live on mission. And in the same ways, we struggle too. But let's ask it positively. What is true mission? What is true mission? First, a true mission will always be bigger than we can imagine, can conceive of. Now, the disciples had something big on their minds, didn't they? They wanted Jesus to overthrow the strongest, baddest nation the world had ever seen. And yet that vision, what they had, as big as it was, was not nearly as big as it needed to be. It was not nearly as big as Jesus had in mind. And the ascension itself proves this. So Jesus leaves, right? Now we assume in our minds that he leaves and he just goes off to another place. But that is not really what the ascension means. The ascension means that he goes off to heaven, which, and heaven is all around us. It is all pervasive. It is omnipresent. And where does he go? To reign in authority. He goes to sit at the right hand of his Father. And so his power and his presence is not limited because he's gone. No, when he is ascended, it is expanded. 
and his mission, our mission, would, would and will reflect this. Our mission should never only be earthly. It should never only be to eradicate hunger or restore cultural and racial, racial diversity. It should not only to be to end all wars. Those are good things. Now raise your sights. Your mission should be heavenly. What will last for all time? What can we do that will reverberate into eternity? C.S. Lewis said once this, Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Think complete, total restoration and salvation. Think everlasting peace, shalom, and joy. Is that what your mission is? Your mission should be bigger than you can imagine. Second, a true mission will be more diverse and widespread than we can imagine. So listen to their question again. Will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Now this is how they had, born, had been born to think. This is how they were trained to think. Israel, Israel, Israel. Israel or bust. So they, of course, would think that the greatest Jew in the history of all Jews would want to bring Israel back to its glory and power. And yet Jesus had other plans, didn't he? He would send them out, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. He was sending them to all peoples and all places, even those places that the Israelites hated, the peoples that they hated. He was sending them with the message of peace and salvation to countries and peoples that they, the disciples, the men of Galilee, believed that they would subdue. But true mission is never narrow. True mission, it turns out, considers all people. Your mission should be an, an open and free call to all people, every nationality, every race, every culture, every language, every IQ, every tax bracket. Let me ask you this question. Is your mission on life diverse? And more than just diverse, is it expansive? Does your purpose on earth include extending grace and seeking welfare of all people? That is true mission. Third, true mission will not be mainly about you. It will not be mainly about you. Listen to the question again. Will you... At this time, restore kingdom to Israel. In other words, they're asking, okay, Jesus, what are you going to do for us now? What are you going to do for us? And Jesus stands back quickly and he says to them, no, what will you do for me? True mission ultimately will not mainly be about us. It will not mainly be about you. Your mission will not mainly be to satisfy your own needs and your wants and desires. True mission will always be self-giving, self-sacrificing. It will be for the glory of God and the shalom, the peace of your neighbor. That is true mission. Now, now let's just say, though, that this doesn't mean that you're not going to get anything out of the deal. You're not a mercenary. What you must, what you must understand is that your self-giving mission is also your most fulfilling mission. Think about Jesus leaving. He takes off. And he, and he leaves the, 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 the mission of the world in the hands of these people, as the scriptures say, who had no learning and no real ability. 
Here you go. Here's my mission. Why did he do that? Now, for many reasons, but I think at least one is that he knows that we are happiest, we are the most alive, we are the most satisfied and fulfilled when we are working, when we are pouring ourselves out for the good of others. We are not mainly filled by taking, but giving. As you consider your mission here on earth, ask yourself, is it mainly about me or about others, about the glory of God? We must live our mission. Point two, there is only one great mission. There is only one great mission. So the disciples, remember, they are staring up into the sky, dumbfounded. And I think that they would have been trying to piece together the last things that he said, right? What did he say? What were the last words? That, I think that was it. So we, we better get this right. What did he say to us? And then they finally figured it out, and it set them on a track to live unbounded, unrelenting lives on mission. So he says the first thing is that you are living under the authority of God, more or less. Verse 7, he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. This is not just answering their question. He is saying, you are not God, isn't he? You are not God. You must be humbled. You live under his authority. He is the king. He is the sovereign Lord. When you go out on mission, it will be under his purview, his authority. Paul says in another place, you are not your own. You are bought at a price. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? He's talking about our sexuality. Do you not know that your body is a temple whom you have from God? You are not your own for you are bought with a price. So glorify God, magnify God in your body. Now we must know it is not just our bodies, it is all of us. We are not living under our own authority but God's. That's the first thing he says. Second thing he says is that you will have the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now you know that before Jesus ascended, before he went away, only certain people were filled with the Spirit. But now, everyone who trusted on Christ would be filled with Him. Call out for the Spirit to fill you, and He will. You will receive Him fully. And do you know what kind of power this is? To be filled with the Spirit of God. And what will you do when you have this power? You will use it to the fullest. You don't drive a Ferrari like you drive a Pinto. You don't wield a, a chainsaw like a pocket knife. You don't use a stick of dynamite like a firecracker. You have the Holy Spirit, the power of the Spirit. Jesus says you must use it now. You must use this power that you have access to. Be unleashed. We are under the authority of God and we have the power of the Spirit. Why? For what purpose? Now here's the answer for this morning. Our highest calling, our mission, Jesus says, is to be his witnesses. To be his witnesses. Verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of 
the earth. What does it mean to be a witness? It means to, to attest to a truth, to say, yes, this is true. For the disciples, it would have meant that they had literally seen Jesus as the resurrected Lord, and now they would live to tell all, all people about him. Their lives would be centered around this fact that Jesus is Lord because he is raised to new life. They had seen him with their eyes. They had put their hands in his wounds. They had see, heard him teach. They had seen him eat some fish. Now, we have not seen Jesus face to face. We have not seen him with our eyes. But as Peter says that we know him, we have known him with our hearts. We've been shown the truth and we have believed on it. And now our hearts burn for him. They burn for him. And so we now know that Jesus is not just a man to be admired, but to be adored. We know that he is not just a man to be respected, but worshipped and feared. And so here, because of those things, because we know this resurrected Lord, here is not a man just to be known about, just to be studied in a book, but to be heralded. Heralded. That is when you know you have come up against the true resurrected Christ because your life changes. You begin to live as his witnesses. You can't help but tell others about him. You can't help but live your life in line with him, your words, your actions, your thoughts. He is a life quake and reverberating now out through your lives. You now live to make much of Christ. That is your mission, and here is why. Here is why your mission is to make much of Christ. It is because when you bear witness to him, to this broken and hurting world, you help save people. Just by bearing witness to his life, you bring his restorative, transformative healing to bear on all people for all time. Jesus said that when you come up against the truth, come in contact with the truth of his life. The world is set free. Your ultimate mission is not the suburban life. Your ultimate mission is the freedom of the world. I know that is a lot to think about, and yet that is the reality. Under the authority of God, by the power of the Spirit, we must bear witness to Christ. Here's how the missionary, the missiologist, Leslie Newbegin put it. The church is the pilgrim people of God. It is on the move, hastening to the ends of the earth to beseech all men to be reconciled to God and hastening to the end of time to meet its Lord who will gather all into one. There is no greater mission, but your question is, is that yours? Last point this morning, how to live on mission. How to live on mission. Okay, verse 10, I love this. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Hey, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come into the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now, I don't blame him. I would have looked too. But did that just really happen? They're standing, their mouths agape, terrified, confused. What do we do now? 
But immediately, instantaneously, the angels are there. Behold, glory, power, white. And they're all in white. They are shining with light. And they say, why are you staring? He's coming back. Now go get ready. And so we must. Friends, we must live on mission. How do you do that? Let's just walk it through. How do you live on mission? First, you must believe that this is the call in your life. You must believe that this is true. You must take this, eva- this value and assign it priority over all things. So my family, one of the things that we're doing right now, it's been pretty fun. We are trying to figure out our values. What are the most important things to our family? Now, it's going to be different for everyone, but here are some of the non-negotiables that we have come up with. Some of the things that we will sacrifice everything for. Everything for. Here's some of them. We will treat each other with, with dignity, respect, love as an expression of the gospel of Christ. In our family, we will do all we can to be formed and shaped, not just to succeed. In our family, we will aim to live debt-free. We will try to save for the future and sacrificially give to the church and to the poor. Those are just some of the things that we're coming up with now. We will sacrifice, we're saying as a family, to make these things happen. Now, over the top of these values is an overriding value, a chief value, and it is exactly what the mission laid out before us is this morning. We as a family are to live on mission as witnesses for Christ. Is that at the top of your list? Is that what guides you? what you are willing to sacrifice all else for. You must choose this. And when you do, when when it is at the top, it will inform every other area of your life, even your other highest values. Everything must align with this highest value. Your life will take shape. You will make choices around this highest of calling. So I was I was reading this week about climbing Everest. I'm never going to climb Everest, so get me wrong. But I was reading about what it might take to do it. What would it take to get to the top of that 29,000-foot mountain? Amazing. And what you have to do, as you can imagine, is ridiculous, insane. The days spent gathering and perfecting gear, the months spent planning your ascent, and then the years, and I don't, I don't mean that metaphorically, I mean it literally, spent in the gym working out your body. It will take you years to do that. You must live as a human possessed if you want to get to the top. Nothing will be able to distract you. Everything in your life is aligned with that one goal. Paul says something similar. We were just with the men on Friday morning discussing the race of our lives that we are all running to. To endure, to live as witnesses. And so it is here. We must align our lives with our main mission to live as witnesses to Christ. If that is your value, then you must see your life differently, everything differently. You must see every part of your life as part of this mission. Let's go through a few of them. How about your home, your house, where you live? That is now a mission station. It is a mission station. They are outposts of hospitality, of kindness, of grace in an increasingly hostile and post-Christian world. Your homes can be orchards in which the fruits of the Spirit can be grown and shared. 
Use your home for the glory of God as you are witness to Jesus. How about our jobs, our careers? They are now missionary assignments. You are, you are witnesses, living witnesses in places where professional ministers like me will never get to. You have access to people, to places that I will never see or access. You are there and you are called to be his witnesses there. And so you are called on the one hand to do your work so well. Do it so well. A, a, a new believer came up to Martin Luther one time and said, now that I'm a Christian, what should I do? Where should I go? And Luther said, stay where you are. Do your work to the best of your ability. And in so doing, you will reflect the glory of God. I do, though, want you to step out, not just live in response to it, but begin to speak, to speak. Some of the men's groups said that their goal right now is to be open about their faith, about who they are in Jesus Christ. Your job is your missionary assignment. Consider your money, your money. Your money now is your mission ammunition. Now, I know that in the suburbs, even in the suburbs of New England, money is hard to come by. We feel like we need to put all of it towards this high cost of living. But I also want you to know, I'm just going to say it this way, you, by your resources, by your finances, can blow huge holes into the gates of hell. Your money could literally bring people from lostness to being saved. Here's my point. Is your mission to be, if your mission is to bring Christ, everything will change. Everything will change. So what will you do differently? What will you do differently as a bearer of this amazing news of knowing Christ Jesus as our Lord? Now I'm going to end by saying one thing. I think we need to end here. I want you to finally remember who you are. And by who you are, I mean you are imperfect. You are imperfect. I think that the main hang-up for living on mission for Christ is ultimately fear. We fear because we, we feel inadequate to do this. Really, we're going to bring shalom and freedom to the whole earth? I don't think so. We fear because we don't think we can make an impact. We fear because we don't think that anyone will listen to us, and if they do, they will mock us. We fear because we are not professional ministers. We didn't go to school for this. How can my feeble words do anything? But friends, I want you to be encouraged. The disciples were just like us. Imperfect, doubting, failing. Do you think that Jesus is floating away or whatever he was doing? I don't know how, how it happened. As he was going away and he sees them kind of dumbly staring up. Then you think he thought to himself, what have I done? What have I done? I've left my mission in these people's hands? No, he knew what he was doing. That is so encouraging to me. We are imperfect messengers sent by a perfect Lord. And that is an amazingly powerful combination. There's this section in Matthew 11 where Jesus is talking about John the Baptist and he says, John the Baptist was the greatest prophet to ever live. Out of all the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, he was the greatest. And then he said this, the least in the kingdom of heaven will be more effective than even he.
Who's the least in the kingdom? Maybe it's me. I don't know. Maybe it's you. And yet what you have, the power that you have, is greater than even John the Baptist. Your effectiveness will be greater even than his. And it is only because of the message that we have now have. We bring the ascended Christ to the world. Jesus has triumphed. Jesus has already completed his greatest of missions. He has died for us. He has conquered death. He has ascended to the right hand of the Father, now ruling and reigning over all things. And so now as we proclaim him, even as imperfect people, yes, the world will know peace, shalom, and joy. Maybe we want to say to him, Lord, now what will you, what will you do for us? But this morning I want you to hear his words to you. What will you do for me in my power? for the good of all people. Let's pray. God, we are listening. We are listening to your words, to your life, to your call. Living where we do in the time and the place we are has, can have a deadening power on our souls, on our hearts. We can't imagine thinking as grand and big as you have called us to live. And so I pray first that you would stir up in our hearts a new fervor and a new passion. Remind us again of who you are, what you have come to do, that this world is not here by happenstance, by chance. This world is here as a creation by you, and you long for your people to find salvation. Align our hearts with yours. Give us passion and endurance to do this job. And now I pray specifically for each person here that they would live on mission in the place that they are. Every person has a place. Every person has a job. Every person has a vocation. May their value be, may their purpose be, may their mission be to live as witnesses, but then work it out in their hearts and their lives. Uncover for them what they are supposed to do now. And then use this church. Use this church. May we bear witness in this place, in this hard valley to your glory, to your goodness, to your life. You are resurrected, Lord, and we praise you and worship you and long for others to know you. We know you will do this by your grace and by your mercy. We know you are working through us imperfect people. In Jesus' name, amen.